0: three friends
1: three cities one question
2: how can we turn this world around
1: you're on with earth friends (laughs) hi everyone hey
0: guys i'm gabby and i'm nikki and i'm carrie
1: and welcome to earth friends this episode is called Three Lives on Our Planet as a spin off to the man that kind of got three of us girls together, Sir David Attenborough.
2: Ooh-hoo. So we're all originally based in the Philippines. Gabby and I are based in the US right now, while Carrie's in the Philippines, luckily. Miss-
0: <laughs> what I'm doing back here is I'm in mall operations and leasing, and I, on top of handling the merchants that that are on my floor i also closely manage the materials recovery facility so that's basically um, checking out the inflow and outflow of waste and how to divert as many from landfills as possible so on top of that i also work with for the future it's basically a org in the philippines that works closely with local communities with the objective of giving long-term aid and partnerships for environmental conservation
2: about you nikki so right now I'm living in Boston. I'm working as a clinical research coordinator at Dana Farber. So I work with stage four solid tumor cancer patients who are enrolled in immunotherapy clinical trials. But in the fall or in September, I will be heading to Columbia to earn my master's in public health, where I hope to concentrate in environmental health sciences and epidemiology. Yeah. And Gabs, what are you doing in New York since I'm going to be there in a few?
1: Waiting for you to come. I'm just kidding. But I've been based here for, well, kind of a year to date, actually. I work for an event technology firm called Cadence, or Platform rather, as a marketing strategist. And I also lead their social impact and corporate social responsibility initiatives. But I've kind of always been interested in social impact and environmental sustainability since around middle school after my first summer job with the amazing social enterprise called Messy Bessie in Manila. And then throughout high school and college have just sought out other leadership positions and learning opportunities to get more involved in the space and continue to kind of grow my experience within it. And then now we're all here starting this podcast, but it's kind of funny because I've known Nikki since middle school. And then we also just ended up studying in the Boston area in college And now we're going to be, hopefully, in New York together again in August. But Carrie, I also met through my sister, and the three of us kind of connected after watching Sir David Attenborough's witness statement slash documentary that was released on Netflix last year, and then started to have weekly meetings.
0: Yeah, so we just wanted to archive and document all of the things that we learned because it was so valuable for it to just end on a Zoom call. So we we wanted to have an audio minutes of the meeting. And here we are, like we're on our first episode. We thought it was just going to be a joke to bring in a guest of one of the friends that we know. And now we're on recording, we got mics and everything. So it's
2: legit now. So, we will start off with introducing who Sir David Attenborough is and the five key takeaways we learned from his witness statement. Yeah, but before that, um,
0: I guess it would be more right, it would be more fit to describe who David Attenborough is. So, he is 93 years old and he is an English broadcaster and natural historian. He explored all the nooks and crannies of every part of the world at a very early stage of aviation, so he was one of the first to travel to different countries and seeing the natural habitat firsthand and being one of the first to show or share different animals to different people all across the world. He now culminates all of these documentaries with his witness statement on the degradation of the earth's natural resources in his one lifetime. So. Almost a century of degradation, which is relatively short compared to how long the Earth's been blown around. Despite the heavy
2: news, he ends
0: it on a lightful and hopeful note, which we wanted to share with you on this podcast.
2: So the first takeaway that we learned from his witness statement was, okay, guys, can you guys believe this? We're about 7.6 billion people on Earth. 7.6 billion people. i mean
1: saying, actually. Yeah, you think about this year number that is I know that sounds like a lot in our head, but I don't think people realize just how many people that actually is.
2: And we're actually growing each year. Like it's not stopping from there. We're only going to be increasing more. And we use like the Earth's natural resources 1.7 times faster than the planet's ecosystem can regenerate. So it's very obvious or very clear that we can't keep up with our ways right now. We have to change the ways. Or how we're living because the amount of resources we use then causes like a domino effect or it trickles down to many of the causes or the reasons why we're experiencing a lot of like climate change right now or a lot of like poverty. No, for sure. And I think
1: you know, all of the resources we are consuming are finite mm-hmm. and they're going to be hard to make up for if, if we even can. And I think that's why other forms of energy and or just alternatives in general are going to be important because if we can't keep up with our own effects which clearly we aren't being able to do right now things will go from bad to worse real fast and that's happening as we know it like people make a lot of jokes about climate change being the cause of like how there was that really bad snowstorm in texas which hasn't which has never happened or how in new york last week was extremely sunny and now it's set to snow again. That's not normal. But speaking of resources, another thing I learned from the documentary was that 15 billion trees are cut down each year. And again, we always hear about, it. oh, yes, the trees are being cut down. But again, 15 billion is such a huge number. And trees are lungs, they trap the carbon in the air, they emit oxygen that we breathe. And that sounds like a very simple concept that I imagine most people understand. But if we don't bring deforestation to a complete halt, those masks that everyone is wearing because of the pandemic will become permanent. We're going to need ventilators or some other form of oxygen to help us breathe on a daily basis.
2: You make a very good point there. I don't think I want to wear a mask for the rest of my life. I'm already getting from this. Yeah, the mask me is real,
0: but like, imagine having to carry on portable ventilators mm-hmm. just to breathe—not like oxygen because the the atmosphere is full of carbon dioxide. Like, it's it sounds technical, and I think that's why people don't really see it as reality. Mm-hmm. But as soon as these technical concepts become stories of people all around the world, like that's when, like that's when it's too late, and it will be too much change that we need. To ha- they'll need to occur for it to revert back to how it was mm. so yeah um if, imagine the number actually the sheer number so that's 15 billion and 7.5 15 billion trees and 7.5 billion people that's around two trees cut per year per person and though it's not as equal like the energy consumption per area i, I mean just averaging that in that sense it's just mind-blowing and yeah. So on top of that, fourteen percent of deforestation is due to agriculture. That's when I realized that everything related, everything is related, and all of the interdependence on the natural resources, may it be land, air, water, mm. anything, it's all it, it's all connected to each other. And one of the things that I learned was my diet really has a huge impact on the environment. So farmland, because it's 14%, which is around the same um, percentage as transportation, but with transportation, people can see like the effects, but in agriculture, it's not as evident. And practicing agricultural biodiversity and supporting farms and whole foods, just simply that, like something that's good for your health, good for the environment. Doing a meatless Mondays for a whole year Um, diverged so many kilos, actually to be exact, it's like around 27,000 kilograms of carbon dioxide on this BBC climate um, carbon dioxide generator. But I mean, that's one person. Imagine like that's only one person doing it for a whole year. And it's so refreshing to see though that despite that, um, people are starting to notice a trend. Like you see companies that are already starting to develop Plant-based burgers. So, if you guys are into the Impossible Burger, the Beyond Burger, you guys are from the States. So, it's much more accessible there. But I've, I'm lucky enough to try the Beyond Burger, and it's so good. The R and D there in that particular industry has really grown so much, and it's because it, it's because there's a demand for it.
1: No, exactly. I was actually gonna say that with the plant-based meat or alternative meat sources, it was really interesting. For me to do to take a class on sustainable food systems in college because we were mm-hmm. able to do a whole test of different alternatives that existed on the market from desserts to meat to even i believe it's just like the general dairy products and i must say the beyond sausage is really good but the impossible beef whether that's the like ground beef or the burger is actually really good too and Initially, they weren't going to roll it out commercially for um, mass distribution. They were just going to do it like um, B2B partnerships and in restaurants. But now they sell just the ground beef in most major grocers. So I've tried it a couple of times and it's they're able to even replicate the way you can cook it. Because I think they use beet to stimulate how when you cook meat, the blood is drained on the pan, and, and it and it was pretty similar with Impossible Burger too.
2: No, yeah, I had a so like, mm-hmm. I had a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, wow, it actually tastes, looks, and the textures like meat. If you told me that was from a plant, I wouldn't believe you.
1: <laughs> and I think alternatives in general is a whole other topic we could probably explore because there's a lot of controversy about yeah. is this really sustainable or not, and I think we can talk about that in a whole other episode. Or even just start a podcast about
2: food in general. I'm but, so down for that to just talk about. I know we can cook or like our favorite food, with an impossible meat or beyond. But
1: yeah, yes, I think one of the biggest things I learned too, or when I got to college and started getting more exposed to this on a more granular detail, was how my vote and dollar and choices, especially because Nikki and I get to live more independently in the U.S. as you said, cars really matters. Like if we start to choose different products that are more organic or more that contain less chemicals and then market demand for that grows, then the sellers, the suppliers, the big retailers are going to have to adapt to that. So you literally vote with your dollar.
0: Yeah, I super agree with you it's so exciting that we have a lot of alternatives, but there's also another another aspect of food that really makes a difference. So regardless of whether it's plant-based or not, place-based apparently makes a huge difference. So like the amount of energy it takes for the food to get to you. So the more localized it is, the better. So if it's local and it's near your place and like, let's say it's, it's grown and produced like maybe a kilometer of where you stay, it's also environmentally friendly because the energy resource it took for it to reach you is not as bad.
1: And I know Nikki might be able to touch upon this a little bit because I remember in one of our initial conversations, she was talking about how she in- intentionally chooses produce that she can track where it's from or at least learn about their cycle a bit more than if you were just to pick up any yeah. vegetable or fruit in, in a grocery store.
2: Right, Nick? Sorry guys, my laptop was gonna die and I panicked and had to run from my charger. <laughs> but what Gabby was saying is correct. Yeah, I've been more conscious where I've been buying my produce. I'm trying to make people more aware or trying to support farms that practices agriculture diversity. So I feel like that's a great way to even start a small step, a small step that you can take towards trying to support farms that do practice that. And the fourth takeaway that we um, learned from his witness statement was was that we need to protect our wildlife by preserving and restoring the home slash the environment that they live in because honestly, we destroyed it. (laughs) Because I don't think a lot of people realize that our lives depend on the lives of other species and other natural resources. I think with with how fast times are moving now and how fast technology is advancing, I feel like we forget that there were other species here before us that before we started learning how to even like type or even like text. I I know. And you
0: know, one of the like significant parts of the documentary was that when he started filming, which was maybe at like the 1940s, there was 65% of um, natural wildlife left. And now we're down to like 35, 33%. And that's so big. That's like almost the whole world gone. Like there's only like a third left. So I, I really agree with you. Like we don't see our interdependence when we're so disconnected from it with technology and everything. But like we won't we won't be able to survive without it.
2: Mm-hmm. I feel like as a species, we're the ones who evolved the most. We invented everything. We invented everything that's here on earth. And I feel like we have a responsibility to take care of those animals and those species, plants who've been here before us, who took care of us before we even learned how to even figure out the internet.
1: Yeah, and I think that it comes with the human race thinking that we're superior to other living beings and maybe to some extent we are, but it comes with responsibility, right? And that's why it's important to have these conversations and educate ourselves on what we could be doing. And I think, That brings us back to our fifth takeaway, which was honestly, I think for me, one of the most intriguing and interesting points from the witness statement, the shift to renewable energy. I knew it existed, but I didn't realize how much of an impact that a total shift could make on so many aspects of of the environment or even just how damaging fossil fuels were. So if we lessen or switch our dependence on fossil fuels because right now, coal accounts for 44% of the world's carbon dioxide emissions. That's insane. And I guess for more context, fossil fuels have extremely high carbon content.
0: Yeah, and just the idea of how populated the earth was millions of years ago, which is probably less than how it is now. Um, in terms of animals and wildlife, which is the source of fossil fuels. It's basically like the remains of these plants and animals millions of years ago. It's hard to imagine that these fossil fuels can supply and sustain us until the end of time. It's just bound to happen that other sources of energy would be um, discovered at this point.
1: Yeah, and there's so many different types of renewable energy, geothermal, biogases,
2: Nuclear, nuclear,
1: solar, wind, hydro. And I know that with solar is becoming a really popular form of renewable energy that's making its way into mainstream operations. But I think there's still so much to be done and especially figuring out the storage aspect is going to be huge in the next couple of years. But I'm really interested to see how that's going to play out and excited to have our guests who are going to be talking more about that too in relation
0: to what um, Gabby said just because the way we're living with the, the way we're living now is how it is now it doesn't mean that it's going to be like this forever so that's the hopeful take on it we didn't account for natural or environmental degradation and that lack of accountability um, didn't let us see the foresight any uh, earlier so as long as we shift that mindset even if it's individually, it will eventually be collectively, we'll eventually learn how to live with nature and sustain the technologies, the developments that we've had in, 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 in the healthcare. And, you know, especially Nikki, like, I mean, Nikki is like learning a lot about public health and um, treating people with cancer. Like these developments don't have to go back to square one for us to be one with nature.
1: Yeah, and I'd add, I'd add in, it doesn't have to be isolated either. Three of us work not necessarily even in this space, but are all finding our own ways to kind of integrate that into our personal and professional lives. So whatever little way, every individual can take a small step and make smaller adjustments that are sustainable for your own life.
2: Mm, no, I completely agree with you. You know how everyone always says, we must change with the times, times are changing. So what have you guys done after watching his witness statement? What things have like you've learned or what do you've changed after
1: seeing? I think personally one of the biggest changes, well, not even biggest changes, but one of the changes I've made was trying to find ways to just lessen my consumption. So a super simple and actionable step is to try to regrow your own vegetable scraps. Sounds like a big task if you just leave it at that sentence. But something something I started with that I just saw on YouTube or even a dick or one of, one of those platforms was with green onions slash scallions. If you just chop off where there's still that little portion of green back into water, they grew really fast. And like you just leave them in the sun. I had scallions again. I didn't even have to include that in our grocery for the next week. That was super awesome. Um, I would just precaution that if you're in New York or wherever you are, that there may be fruit flies. So be careful of that, and be ready to kind of counteract that. But yeah, regrowing vegetable scraps. My next experiment might be regrowing an onion. Cause I also saw that saw that was doable, um, like white onions and stuff. But you know what? I think one way that maybe it could have been lessened is if this education surrounding Anything related to environmental sustainability and and the negative effects that the human race is doing to the environment was thought earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I
2: agree. Mm-hmm. Like I wish I was I learned this in grade school because I'm gonna be honest, I only learned this last year or this year where I fully got dove into this and realized how we're very behind, how we're not where we're supposed to be at. In terms of sustainability, so I honestly think that we should be teaching this, teaching the younger generation the basics of this, not just because honestly I thought it was just plastics.
1: Yeah, and I, I think depending on I guess where you are in the world or how it, or what school even, maybe there is a conversation that's starting to spread or be implemented in school. Mm-hmm. But I remember when I was when we were in middle school it, or elementary even, it was just this acronym acronym called play go clean as you go which i thought was just about cleaning your own space which i guess if you analyze what that means on a broader perspective that's literally what we're also doing now is just minding our own space. Your environment
0: yeah exactly yeah and i wish that they like that there was more context to where the waste went for it to stick more to actually like apply it in your personal life not just in school because it's a rule but because you care and you know if there was like a climate change or climate control class you know mandated for everyone to learn like that would really help but you
1: know yeah exactly and I know some schools do like tree planting activities or field trips with Mm -hmm. with younger kids but they don't explain the significance of that right exactly
2: like I didn't know the urgency then. But
1: exactly,
0: the urgency is not um, is not emphasized because the context is just not there. It's just only the call to action, and people normally would just be like, "If I were a kid and I didn't really know much about the environment, it'll be boring, and I don't want it. It shouldn't be boring. It should be a way of
1: life, and, and it's simple, simple to understand. That's also what mm-hmm. we're trying to do with our podcast, right? Help raise awareness, maybe not for elementary students, but for people to. These conversations that we're having with people who might be subject matter experts, while we're not experts ourselves, we're also kind of on the same boat, you know, trying to educate ourselves and learn more about the space we're really interested in and see how exactly that answer our theme question, which is how can we turn this world around? Each one of us still has really strong hope out there to be able to reverse the effects of what's going on and the solutions that people are coming up with are so amazing and interesting really? and the people that we've been meeting it's insane
2: i'm just like how are these people not on the news right i know you should be commercial like yeah. what they're coming up with is insane so, so, that being said
1: thanks for listening to our first episode <laughs> and i hope you guys stay on for the next couple of ones too. thank you so much guys stay tuned for
0: our next episode about renewable energy We will be having a special guest. So see you guys there.
2: We're Earth friends and Earth is our friend. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye, guys.